The information contained in this podcast is general in nature and is not to be taken as financial or personal advice. It does not consider your objectives, financial situation or needs. You should consider whether this information is suitable for you and your personal circumstances before acting on it. Hi, and welcome to The Home Run, your guide to buying your first home in Australia. On this show, I'll walk you through the home buying process from every angle. We cover steps to take, the pitfalls to avoid, and the answers to all your questions you've been dying to ask. No matter what stage you're at, you'll learn everything you need to know about buying your first home. I'm your host, Michael Nasser, and I'm a mortgage broker at Lens Street. And I really love helping people buy their first home. Welcome to part two of our interview with John Ung. In case you've missed our last episode, John is an experienced mortgage broker and owner of Money Jar Concept, a brokerage based in the inner west of Melbourne. In part one of this interview, breaking down mortgage jargon, we discussed pre-approvals, equity, and the difference between fixed and variable rates. Today, in the second part of this interview, we cover loan-to-value ratio, loan term, valuations, plus much more. Let's jump in. Genuine savings. So when we're talking for first home buyer, what's genuine savings mean? So most lenders would prefer you to have at least 5% of your deposit saved genuinely. Again, using the million dollar home, 5% is 50,000. If you've demonstrated that you have been put into $50,000 and seen the balance grow over the last six months or more, that's genuine savings. What is not genuine savings? There are a lot of consumers out there who will argue, but John, I can't save a deposit because I'm paying two and a half grand a month in rent. I just can't. But you know what? My uncle just passed away and I'm actually on the well and I'm getting $100,000 from my uncle as part of the assets that's been distributed. So you haven't demonstrated any capacity to save. So there's no genuine savings. But all of a sudden, ta-da, there's $100,000 in the bank account. That's not genuine savings, but that can still be used as deposit for your home. It's got to be there for a period of time for the bank to steam it to be genuine. That's right. I guess. And it's not like, I guess the most common one that I see is always gifts. So mum and dad are able to give a gift or something along those lines. It's got to be there for a period of time and the bank has to see it. And I guess the bank wants to see that you have some credible savings history because you're about to embark on a big loan. The yeah. way I say is, if I'm going to lend you money, if I'm the bank, have you demonstrated any behavior yeah. to prove that you can actually yeah. repay me? Yeah, exactly. If you've been saving money and you're a good saver, chances are you pay your home loan on time mm. as well. That's mm. the argument. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's why genuine savings is that important. Yeah. And another rate-related term, so interest only. What does interest only mean? So there are two types of loans. One's interest only. That's where you pay only the interest every month. And then as opposed to the principal on interest, where you're paying the interest and the principal. So that one, you're paying down the loan. Some consumers only want to pay the interest, so the debt stays the same every month. And obviously, if the property value increases, like the one million to one point one example we had, I was giving the property is now worth one point one, but your debt's still a million. That's what interest only is. That's what you really are. You're just paying down the interest. You're not paying down the loan, and chances are the loan will never be paid off. The principal, obviously, it's the interest plus the amount of paying the home down as well. That's right. I explain to a lot of first-time buyers, I say generally the first seven years of a loan is where most of the interest is being paid. If you stay with a lender for seven years, 
most of the interest is embedded in the seven years. You pay off more of the interest in the first seven years, and over time, from year eight onwards, you begin to pay off more of the principal, and the interest ratio drops. Yeah, and I think with first-time yeah. buyers, interest-only is definitely a product that's very much focused, I think, on investors in particular. Do you think as first-time buyers, it's really the principal and interest loans that... It's yeah. changed a lot, though. Yeah. Lending wasn't like that. You could take an interest-only loan if you are a first-time buyer back in NAB days. So. Yeah, so, yeah. Unless there's a very, very legitimate reason. Yeah. Yeah. But again, not the right conversation. No, we're not there. going into those reasons today. No. You have to stay tuned for no. a later one for that one. Yeah. Introductory rate. What's an introductory rate? Mm. So it's a sexy rate that's meant to catch you hook, line, and sinker. This is how I normally explain to my consumers, okay? The introductory rate, they'll catch you out. No one's going to offer you a sexy rate without a catch there. And let's just say the 1.99 example we had, let's just say they're offering to you 1.79, okay, which would revert to a much higher rate after, say, 12 months. The lender is relying on you on not remembering the 12 months is up. So from month 13, you're actually paying a much higher rate. And most people will not remember it because the hustle and bustle of life, kids, bills, COVID, life, means they might only remember it at month 18. So for six months, they've been paying a much higher rate than what they should be. But the bank or the lender is not going to tell them that because why would they? It's in their best interest to make more money. Yeah, That's what an introductory rate is. But again, you just need to be aware of the T's and the C's. Yeah. So nothing is ever offered for free. Yeah. It's also known as a honeymoon rate as well. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Lender's mortgage insurance. That's a term that I think a lot of first-time buyers, if they haven't heard of it yet, will hear a lot of it. If we are going to keep talking about mortgage insurance over the next few episodes, and if you are a repeat listener... I'll say, firstly, do not ever be afraid of mortgage insurance. I'll use the way I describe it. It is not an insurance to protect you, unfortunately. It's to protect the lender. The lender is saying, Michael, you've been very naughty. You have not demonstrated ability to save 20%. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to charge you a fee, which is to insure ourselves, because you haven't demonstrated 20% deposit. Chances are you might default on the loan in three months' time or three years' time. So here's the fee. Pay it. So... Mortgage insurance is just a fee they will add to the loan because you haven't got on paper 20%. And that's what mortgage insurance is. And there's simply you know, a bit of humor thrown in as well. That yeah. really is. And it could be as little as a couple of thousand dollars Okay. because you might not have 20%, but you might only have 19%. Yeah. So the mortgage insurance might be a couple of grand all the way up to about $45,000. Wow. So it's a big expense if, to be mindful. Yeah, that's right. If you would have less than 5% deposit. On to the next term, liabilities. So we talked about assets earlier. That's what your savings are, your car, your shares. Liabilities is the exact opposite. Your credit cards, what the limits are, car loans, personal loans. A huge one that people tend not to remember is your hex or your help debt. Especially yep. first home buyers, I think hex is a big one. If a lot of them have got good jobs because they spend lots of many years studying and a lot of them would accrue a relatively large hex debt, that's a lot of people don't tend not to remember that. Mm. Maybe you might have a couple of um, self-employed consumers out there who are listening. Sure, there are a lot of first home buyers who are also yeah. self-employed. If you have a tax debt, an ATO debt, nothing to be afraid of. We can talk about this in another episode if mm-hmm. I get a chance to. Mm-hmm. But if you have a tax debt and ongoing ATU arrangement, that's a debt as well. But keeping it simple, that's on a very base level. Yeah, that's pretty much what liabilities are. Yeah, the debts that are attached yeah. to your name, I guess. 
the loan to value ratio, probably one of the most important terms that the first home buyer needs to understand. So mm. the loan to value ratio, also known as LVR. I always find this is the biggest lie. LVR, it shouldn't be LVR, it should be LVP because it's not even a ratio, it's a percentage. Mm, mm, it should be loan value percentage. Yeah, yeah that's true. So that's why firms buyers are confused because whoever coined this term can't even get the English term right. Mm, mm. <laughs> anyway, using the million dollars as that example. Yes. If you have the $50,000 deposit and you're borrowing $950,000, you're borrowing at 95% LVP or LVP. LVR, LVR. So yeah. loan valuation ratio. We can create LVP. The covers both Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah. They, but that's what LVR is. Yep. It's just really what you owe divided by the property value. Mm -hmm. So 950 divided by a million is 95%. Yep. And I guess that terminology we use quite a bit when it comes to lenders mortgage insurance, when we say that when your loan is more than 80%, that 80% means 80% LVR effectively. So that's where they intertwine with one another. Offset account. So... Hey, Michael, you know that everyday account that you've got at the moment with ING? Mm -hmm. You know, you get salary gets in there. I can see you're doing tap and go. You want to practice, you shop at Maya. Yep. Everyday transactions go in and out. Let's just say you're taking out a home loan with ING as well. You now have a home loan with ING. Hooray. So that everyday account that you've been using for a long time, you could link that to your home loan. Let's just say the loan is $100,000, okay? Yep. And I can see generally you have about $5,000 in your everyday account. So, Michael, if you have a standalone $100,000 loan, interest will be calculated, you know, the banks need to make money. So if they charge whatever interest on $100,000, you have to pay, obviously, the, the repayments. But if you have your everyday account, which is about $5,000, linked to your $100,000 home loan, interest will only be calculated on the difference which is $95,000, which means you pay less interest. So the more money you have in the offset account, the less interest you get charged, which is a good thing because I don't know anyone who want to make the banks richer. They want to make themselves richer naturally. Yeah. And so that's a transactional account as well? It's just a transactional account and you can get a debit card and you can have multiple offsets. This lender dependent. Some lenders don't allow that. Mm. Some lenders only allow one offset. So, but most first home buyers are quite happy with one. Next one, redraw. What's a redraw facility? Using the $100,000 example again, let's just say you're contracted to pay $1,000 a month. So after 12 months, you have paid $12,000 into the home loan. So let's just say instead of paying $1,000 a month, you are paying $1,500 a month. After 12 months, you've paid $18,000 into the loan. So contractually, you're meant to pay $12,000, but you've paid $18,000 after 12 months simply by virtue of paying the extra $500 a month. That $6,000 difference that you paid into the loan can be redrawn if you should choose to. So if you make any additional repayments, basically the redraw allows you to get those repayments out if you That's need right. To. We have to make this very clear though. If you are paying this into a fixed loan, unfortunately you can't take the money out because you get a nice stable rate. Yeah. But the drawback is you can't redraw. Yeah. You put the extra money into a variable rate, yes, you can take it out. So just be careful where you put the extra money into. Yeah. 
And I think yeah. items like that, obviously today we're just talking about the terms and explaining what they are, but they do intertwine a lot. And to get the particulars of what is possible with a particular term, you would need to speak to a broker to get some clarification as to what would be right mm-hmm. for your circumstance. So we're definitely not explaining how they potentially work and what they can do, but it's more like what is it and understanding that. And I think later on, we can talk about, for example, what's the benefit of a fixed rate over a variable rate and what are the two different products offering and what features do they have? And I think that's probably more in line with where we can go a bit more of a deep dive into those particular terminologies and what they actually mean for that. But if we go back just to our standard you know, terms and what they mean, another really common one that we haven't, if we haven't heard, we will hear is security. Million dollar home you just bought, the lenders want to lend you the money, but they need to hold on to something as collateral. And lo and behold, that's the home you just bought, the security. Mm-hmm. So the loan is a secured loan. Your loan of 950, using that example again, is secured against your security, which is your million-dollar home. So your security is effectively the home. Correct. That's it. Correct. Settlement date. Say you buy a home 1st of April, on April Fool's Day, which is not a joke, which is serious. <laughs> it's a real home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's not a joke. Yeah. Surprise. Okay, <laughs> let's just say it's a 90-day settlement from 1st of April. So let's just say it's 1st of July. So that's your 1st of July is a settlement date. You've got 90 days between 1st of April when you sign a contract to 1st of July, which is a settlement date. That's when you move in. That's when the lenders, they effect the loan itself and whatever deposit you pay and all the costings and all the other technical stuff, which we won't get into, happens in that day. I don't know about New South Wales, but in Victoria, they're normally two times, it's 11 o'clock and two o'clock. It's very random. And I mean, I think Friday is maybe a traditional time when it's done, but it's effectively 42 days standard after mm-hmm. the contracts have exchanged, which is when you pay the deposit. So whatever okay. that 42nd day happens to be is when it's okay. done. Yeah, it's, I know the listeners mostly will be in New South Wales. But yeah, they vary. If yeah. there are any, yeah. any Victorian listeners, yeah, we get 30 or 60 or 90, and then yeah, it happens on the day you move in in terms of getting into what actually is settlement and how does that all work. So we won't be uh, delving through that one at this particular point. A loan term or the term of the loan. Hmm. So the standard loan term is 30 years. That means you've got 30 years to pay down the home. That is standard. Most lenders offer only loan terms of 30 years. Obviously, the shorter your loan term, the better, so that you pay less interest. Some lenders will offer up to 40 years. Yes. So they're very niche. You have 40 years to pay off your loan term. But again, I don't want to open up another can of worms. I mean, sometimes people who are older will say, no one's going to give me a 30-year loan. I'll be 87 by the time I pay off my loan. Mm. But there, there are ways around it. Yeah. But we're not going to go there. So it's effectively the amount of time that you have to pay the loan back. And standard default is 30 years, I guess, with most lenders. And that can vary. The last term that we've got, the term valuation, we have touched on it a few times, but the valuation, and I reckon as an extension of that, the difference between a valuation and a purchase price too, potentially, but let's focus yep. on the term valuation to begin with. So let's just say you bought your home for a million dollars, even though you may have bought it for a million dollars, let's use ING as an example, we need to ensure that the home is actually worth a million dollars. So as part of the loan application and the due diligence, they will send out a valuer to do a valuation of your home. The ING valuer is going to go there and make sure the house is actually there. There's a roof on it. Surely they don't want to take on a security that's got no roof on it. Or it could just be a fake security. I haven't seen, but you don't know. That's what the valuation is. It's just to value your home. 
it's becoming quite important these days because sometimes you might have a home that's worth a million, but the lender might only value it for nine fifty, which happens in various cases. I mean, it could be off the plan. Again, I'm talking about that yeah. stuff that I don't want to confuse. Could be off the plan. Yeah. Could be in the property that's in very very little established amenities around the area. Could be a paddock that has been cut up fifty times and. Unfortunately, if the valuation comes back lower than what you bought it for, then the poor purchaser, i.e. you, you have to make up the difference. So we really don't want that to happen. So it's important you do a bit of research prior. So the bank will organize that valuation and do they do it themselves or is it done through a third party or how's that valuation? So all lenders, well, they contract it to a third party. I think the big four are a bit different. I know most of the lenders outside there, they contracted to a third party who have no allegiance. So valuers, when they receive a job report, on most days a valuer might have anywhere between seven to 10 valuations to do. I know a lot of valuers, so I'm just going a bit off topic. Mm, yeah, yeah. They get a, they get a base good. retainer. Some- they get a bit of base retainer. And then for every valuation, they get paid about 300 bucks. You know how I talked about there was a valuation fee for earlier, about yes. 300 bucks? Yes. The fee actually gets paid to the valuer. And for properties that's worth over a million dollars, which if you're in Melbourne or Sydney, Very that's common. fairly common, mm-hmm. the valuation fee is actually more than 300. There's an extra that the consumer may have to pay and the valuer gets paid the extra top up as well. But to answer your question, Michael, the valuers are third party. They have no allegiance. Yeah. They evaluate based on a various lenses that they know. And obviously they would know, oh, this two streets down. I was here two months ago yeah, doing compar- a valuation. Comparable sales. Comparable sales, yeah. So they will, they will know. Unless your property has a helipad and underground wine cellar or something different. Something unique, something very unique. Yeah. I often see, so valuations that are done on houses that are bought through the real estate agent in a traditional way, whether it's auction or... or um, that tends to stick. That yeah, they to tend stick. to stick generally. I mean, there's yeah. obviously, that's not always the case, but more often than not, I think you've alluded to the fact that there is some complications with maybe off the plan or something that makes it a little bit unique. But for the most part, uh, it generally is the price that you pay for it, but it may not be. Yeah. And if it isn't, then there might be that difference. We got a problem. Yeah, that's Decent. right. That's all the terms. I guess there's a lot there that we discussed and went through and gave explanations. I'm already exhausted. Yeah, I I'm can exhausted. imagine. I can imagine. I know. So am I. And we deal with them every day, but it's like trying to explain them. It's like, oh, how do I do this? And it's definitely a lot more uh, taxing than uh, than we initially think. But they're important terms and they're terms that will always pop up when it comes to that home loan purchase and looking at loans. I guess how I like to conclude today's chat is to basically provide three tips to first home buyers and it doesn't have to be about anything we've discussed but in your experience working with first home buyers what are your top three tips for first home buyers and what should they be thinking three about? i've yeah. actually written five okay so, well let's go through five why not more yeah. for them so these are my top five tips okay yeah. you need to know your credit score b know your borrowing capacity c be aware of your out-of-pocket expenses such as building and pests because the building and pest inspection is critical, and conveyancing costs. These are additional costs that you will incur. Okay, D is you do not need genuine savings. Okay, I like that. So we can scrap what we said about genuine savings before. Again, but T's and C's apply. Of course, of course. And E is controversial. You do not need a pre-approval. So let's Again, expand on that. Are we, do you want to go down that path or do we want to keep I don't know. It? I mean, I yeah, thought we just go. Keep let's go. really simple Let's today. go. No, no. I, I think there's a logic to why you've said that too. So I'd love to learn what that is. So if you're listening to this for the first time and you're already bamboozled by what I'm talking about, you can switch off. But if you understand everything I've talked about so far, listen on. I think a lot of times, a lot of real estate agents out there and a lot of lenders and brokers, 
trying to do a sell. And even back in my NAB days, I never really believed in the idea of a pre-approval because the key metric are your credit score. Once you've done your credit score, we can see your whole credit history. If you've got a good credit score, we know that most lenders will accept you anyway. And I would have spent an hour with you working out your borrowing capacity. So I already know how much you can borrow. You know how much you can borrow as well. If you do a pre-approval with ING, again, for ING, mm. <laughs> ING. You're like ING. Kit taking the battering here. Yeah. If you do a pre-approval with ING, you're going to cop a credit hit on your credit score. And well, how long is a pre-approval? Three months. It's 90 days. Yeah. But what happens if you do not find that property within 90 days? You've got to do another pre-approval. That's right. Or you, you have to extend it. Extend it, it yeah. So you've caught an unnecessary credit hit. And people do not know this, but every time you caught a credit hit on your credit score, your score may actually drop. If you do too many of these within a certain period of time, your score drops, which may affect your ability to access better lenders. And I always say pre-approval is just a piece of paper. Yeah. A lot of people come to me and say, John, I need a pre-approval. I'm like, why? I want to find out what my borrowing capacity is. I'm like, oh, you don't need a pre-approval to find out borrowing capacity. Spend an hour with me. Let's catch up for coffee. I'll show you. Yeah, that's a good tip there. I think that you're completely right in terms of what a pre-approval is and what it could potentially do if you don't transact in that particular period. And then all of a sudden you've got to do another and another and it could affect your credit score because it's not something that people think about. We've actually discussed credit scores on a previous episode as well. So we understand the importance of credit scores and it's not something we think about and that could go into a whole other area in terms of what that means. But that makes complete sense to me and I could understand why you'd be suggesting that too. But no, it's good to have those thoughts and to think outside the square a little bit and not do what we normally would think is the way to do things. And so I love ideas like that. I think it's great. Other than that, I think we've discussed it all. So thank you so much for your time, John. I really appreciate it. This has been lovely. I have no idea how heavy the bus you're going to throw me under, how big the bus. Won't be throwing Um, you under any bus. It's all good. No, but it's it's, it's important to go (laughs) through those things as well to make sure that, you know, we understand them. And for the context of the podcast, I mean, this is a foundational type of episode really where people can come back to this at any time and revisit those terms because these terms have existed for a long period of time and they'll continue to exist and we build on these terms effectively. So it's an important episode and it's an important topic to discuss, although it might be bland. Some people might think, oh, these terms, they're not, but I mean, for you and I, we discuss it all the time, so we understand it. But for mm. people, it could be the first time they're hearing it. But knowing that they can come back to this spot and re-listen to that and understand what these mean, I think can help them build that foundational knowledge that they might be hoping for and seeking and then can propel them into understanding more about what they're doing and thinking about new ways of doing things as well, as you've mentioned with your last tip there's there. There's no one way to do it. There's no. many ways in the cap. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you for your time, John. I appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. And thank you, listeners. If you're still listening to this, yeah. why? Yeah, yeah. I'm well, a very boring person. Yeah, what's that? What are you still doing here? Come and find something better to do. <laughs> no, it's all it's Thank all, you. It's all good. Thanks. You've been listening to The Home Run, your guide for buying your first home in Australia. This podcast was produced by Lenstreet. Lenstreet is a mortgage broker and home loan specialist that helps first home buyers find the right loan to meet their needs. We know applying for a loan can be overwhelming and complex, so we help guide and support first home buyers through the process from start to finish. To find out more, head to our website, lenstreet.com.au. We've also put a link in the show notes. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Home Run, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Michael Nasser, and we'll be back next episode covering another step on the journey to owning your first home.